Hey, welcome to another edition of Coaching You Podcast with the coach, Brendan Sir. Uh, just wanted a quick reminder that uh, our Coaching You live clinics this summer in Orlando, July 5 and 6, and in Las Vegas, July 10 and 11. Uh, in Orlando, we're going to be at Lake Highland Prep, and in Vegas, we're going to be at Impact Basketball again. Remember, the two days are from 1 p.m. on the first day to 9 p.m., and then on day two from 8.30 in the morning to 3 p.m. Best clinics in the country, best speakers, all NBA guys, uh, general admission. We have the March Madness price. You've got to take advantage. It's $100 lower. It's general admissions, 147 VIP 377 includes meals, and also it includes all the videos of all the speakers. So, Fantastic uh, deal on that. Uh, so listen, uh, today um, I, I just told our guests, I, 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 you know, I think I've done 70 to 90 podcasts with our coaching thing, and I, I, I'm for the first time I'm a little nervous because this person is so special to me. Uh, he's a dear friend. Uh, he's one of the most accomplished uh, people in his field. He's one of the best minds that I've known in the world of basketball. But most importantly, he's a dear, dear friend. So I want to welcome to Coaching You Live, our podcast, B.J. Armstrong. My friend, welcome. I appreciate that, Coach. Uh, and uh, it's great to finally be on the show, be a guest on the show. And uh, I, I'm, a little, I'm a little nervous with the coach here, you know. I'm sure this is like a hot seat. I feel, I, I feel, I, I feel the pressure right now to perform right now. Well, you know, I haven't done many big games lately, so this is a, this is a big this is as close as it's going to get for me. But I'll tell you what, uh, for the folks that don't know our background, uh, we both met back in Michigan when you were a terrific high school player, Brother Rice High School, and I was coaching the Pistons, and you know, and and you had already gone on to the University of Iowa, uh, and then. When I joined the Pistons in our championship year of 1989-90, you were a rookie with the Bulls. Oh, wow. playing, playing against, you know, kind of, I don't want to say he was a childhood idol by any means, but he was someone that you kind of looked up to in Isaiah Thomas Absolutely. that, you know, you, you know, you had known so well. What was it like playing against Isaiah as such a young guy? Well, as a young player, um, you know, he was someone that I really admired from afar. Uh, growing up there in Detroit, you know, I saw his, I, I followed his career at Indiana University, um, and then go from Indiana, he gets drafted by Detroit, my hometown team, and I was able to watch him a lot back in those days, and then suddenly I found myself competing against him. And the ironic thing, which made it really tough for me, is my mom is from Chicago, and huh. and we didn't know years later that our families knew each other growing up on the west side of Chicago. So it made it even tougher uh, once we kind of found that out. And then you know Isaiah like I know Isaiah. He's going to use everything he can to get an edge. So, um, everything. And I mean everything. So, But it, it was tough. My, my My first year it was tough because – you know, it's like playing against someone you, you know, I remember when Detroit, you know, when he first got to Detroit, he was finding his way in the league. But more importantly, he 
he came there with a lot of pressure to turn the organization around, and you guys eventually did it and added all the right pieces, the right coaches, and all the right things. So uh, it was tough, but, you know, once – you know, you learn what this league is all about a few times. You learn that there are no friends in this league it's once the once the game begins. So I learned very quickly that if I'm going to stay around, that I had to learn how to separate my friendship when it was time to, to play and do my job. So, um, and, and I had an opportunity to learn from some of the best and some of the best players, some of my teammates, but more importantly, g- compete against the best because Isaiah was a, a top-notch performer and he's a top-notch competitor on and off the floor. And, and and for those again, this is you know going back a long time. But for people that don't know, some of our younger listeners, coaches, players, and business folks, the Pistons and the Bulls absolutely despise. That would be a nice word. <laughs> okay, there was if you if you even like like Isaiah's the kind of guy that and and you know he's like my brother. So and so if Isaiah like smile and tap you on the backside and say, hey, BJ, how you doing? Jordan would go nuts, right? I mean, he right. just could, don't buy into that shit. Oh, come on, man. Don't, don't, what are you doing, man? <laughs> He's trying to play you. You know, I know how Mike is. And so, uh, you know, all these dynamics, and you're like saying, hey, the guy just said hi to me, <laughs> you know. But it was like, right. it was, yeah, I mean, it was, it was really something and the, the rivalry, uh, you know, Boston, you know, was a tough rivalry with uh, Detroit. Uh, the Pistons and the Hawks was a tough rivalry. Uh, the Bulls, the Bulls and the Pistons, I've never seen anything like it. Nothing like it, even yeah. football. And, and and you know what? That made for great basketball. Great basketball. It, 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 it really did. And, um, you know, it, it was just a different time and a different era but in those days, we we genuinely didn't like each other, and yes. it, it, we really didn't talk to each other. You really wanted to make sure that every foul that you had counted. And uh, even during the regular season, you know, we always evaluated ourselves to where we were at as a team against Detroit. Not at home, but on the road. We expected to yes. win at home. The crowd, sure. the energy, the, you know, but we really – Evaluating, we took those games in the palace very serious because we knew that Detroit mentally was as tough. Detroit was as mentally tough as any team that we were going to face during the regular season or the postseason. We knew they had a great leadership with Isaiah, Joe Dumars, and that crew, and Bill Lambert, right. and the coaching. I mean, it was it was fabulous. It was it was chess. It was like Chinese chess. I mean, you know, Chuck Daly was just amazing yourself the things you guys were doing defensively you know we still haven't figured out what the jordan rules are you know what that was but we were able to do some things with with text with text winners and phil jackson and late johnny bach and so it was just great competition and i can tell you that um there was no love lost for sure yeah. and and when you played and, and it was just the time it was a, it was a great kind of moment in in the the history of the NBA. You know, I, I go back, BJ, uh, and I and I think about uh, some of those games, and I think about the things that went on in those games, and to think about 
how each team became the best defensive team in the league because that's how good they had to be to win, to advance in the right. series, is that the Pistons were always a great defensive team, but the Bulls then became the best defensive team in the league for six or eight years. And the reason that they kept winning was, I think, you know, they can talk about Triangle, they can talk about MJ and Scotty, but your defense was so freaking good that you couldn't score when teams needed to score. Well, we, and we owe that. And Johnny Bach was the architect, I thought. And yeah, but what, what we owe that all to you guys. And we we everything that that Bulls team did, and, you know, we would never admit it then, we owe it to – the Detroit Pistons, because that's where we all grew up. You know, either mm-hmm. Scottie Pippen was going to be one of the, the top 50 players, or he wasn't. Either Michael Jordan was going to ascend to the greatest player, or he wasn't. If we didn't beat you guys in the early 90s, that team probably would have been broken up, and none of that probably would happen, or it would have happened with different guys. We owe everything to you guys, because... We were making moves, or the, the the you know Jerry Krause and those guys were making moves to counter what you guys were doing when they moved Charles Oakley for Bill Cartwright. You know Horace Grant was drafted to counter the athleticism of you had guys like Young John Sally and Dennis Rodman. Everything that we did was to counter to try to compete with you guys. And defensively, I think is what the most valuable lesson we learned was we didn't need the offense to beat you. If we didn't score and you guys didn't score, we were still in the game. And that was the most valuable lesson we learned as a team. And once we knew that defensively we could count on our ability to to make stops, we knew then we could at least compete and be in the game with you guys because defensively you guys were incredible. And when you turned up the game on the defensive end, we had to turn up our defensive presence as well just to stay in the game because we knew we weren't going to score, but we wanted to make sure you weren't going to score. So – so be it. And we didn't panic once we learned that lesson, but we owe it to you guys. Thanks, but that still doesn't help when you beat us 4-0. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you had beat us all those other years. I mean, yeah, no, I, I know, I know, but now I'm really depressed now. But I'll try to get through this. I'll try to get through this, okay? Now, listen, you, you played you, – you, you were amazing – uh, I never asked you, why did you leave Michigan and go to Iowa, a, a great school, but why did you go there and not go to Michigan or Michigan State or Notre Dame, you know, going out of a nice Catholic high school right. with Brother Rice? Why did yeah, you do well, that? I can tell you, so uh, I don't think I've ever shared these stories, so yeah, it'll be here on, uh, on the Coaching News. So I wanted to go to Notre Dame, which would always recruit us at Iowa, but they had this young guard by the name of, uh, gosh, his first name. Is it Chris Rivers? I think, no, no, it wasn't Chris Rivers. David uh, Rivers. David Rivers. David Rivers. They had this young guard, David Rivers. So they, like, I think it was Digger at the time, said, hey, if you come here, you're probably going to have to redshirt because he's going to play. He's going to be my starter for the next three years. So that kind of took me out of it. Yep. Michigan, if you recall, they had uh, Coach Frieder, Bill Frieder, and those guys. They were, like, number one in the country. They had Roy Tarpley, the judge. Remember Antoine Joubert? They had oh, this yeah. young freshman coming in, the general, Gary Grant. And oh, Bill Frieder gosh. flat out told me I was going to have to redshirt. And uh, at the time, he told myself and Glenn Rice, who ended up going there, that we were going to have to redshirt. Because they were just wow. that. They had Richard Relfort. They had they were just they were just they had, loaded. A, great they had a great team. 
And so, you know, Judd Heathcote comes in, him and a, and, and a young Tom Izzo was like the grad assistant or something. And uh, so I was like, oh, wow, this might be the place. This might be the place for me. And Sam, Sam uh, Vincent at the time was, was a senior, uh, and they had this young freshman named Scott Skiles. So, make a long story short, Coach, I go visit, I go on my visit, and I'm really like Judd Heathcote. I'm, you know, I know he's going to run the dribble weave. You know, I, I grew up watching Magic Johnson. And I'll never forget, Scott Skiles comes to me. He goes, if you come here, just be prepared to sit on the bench for your next three years. <laughs> <laughs> now, it, I was so taken away. I, I, I never forget the, I will never forget the look on Judd Heathcote and Tom Izzo's face. When he said that to me, he said that to me, we were like some like team function. And he was like, Hey, if you come here, be prepared to sit on the bench for the next three years. <laughs> and I thought, and I, and to this day, you know, when I see Scott, we kind of still laugh about it. Coaches, oh, you know, we laugh about it, but it was just like one of those moments that you will remember exactly what I was thinking. Oh. I was thinking, I got to go in the, I got to find a place in the big 10 that I can go and play against this guy. If he had the yeah. guts to say that to me. So that's why I didn't uh, go to uh, Michigan that's... or Michigan State. And so I ended up going to Iowa. And uh, I, I love playing I love playing against the home. But, it, I mean, Scott Scott was obviously had a great, you know, collegiate sure. career and pro career. And, you know, Gary Grant and those guys. And all those guys, you know, they were pros. And that's, that's where it was at. So I had to go where I needed to go to have an opportunity. And uh, but that's – those are true stories. So uh, was, Scott Scott ran me out of town. Was that Lute Olson as your coach at Iowa? Who no, was, it was uh, uh, George Raveling. Coach Raveling. George Raveling oh, recruited me. And uh, so, yeah, so Coach Raveling, he got that year. Myself and Roy Marble and I were really good friends growing up. And you remember yeah. Bill Jones at Southwestern who played for yeah. Perry Watson. So he was getting the the the, the Michigan players out of there, and uh, so we went up there, and we had a pretty good team. And uh, so I played for him for one year, and then he ended up going to USC after my freshman yeah. year, and I played for the great Dr. Tom Davis. So the bounce pass. I was introduced to the bounce pass and with the, the great power doctor. Flex. And the power and flex. And the power flex, absolutely. And, the, and uh, it was and, great. It was and the number of the best fast times break. of my career. And the number fast break. Oh, yeah. Tom yeah, so, you know, Coach Coach Davis is great, and I, you know, him and I, we still, uh, you know, we keep up with each other. And uh, Keno, actually, his son, Davis, is coaching coach. over there at Central Michigan. Yeah, so it was great, and those are great times, the Big Ten. And remember Lou, uh, Lou Henson and Gene Tatey and Bobby Knight wow. and, oh you know, Judd Heathcote. It was just great times, and, and, and then, and, but, you know, college basketball was different then, and the game was different, so. That's my story, how I got to Iowa. Well, I'll tell you what, we broke news. That stuff I can <laughs> That's great. I, that is awesome stuff, man. I can't wait to see some of these people. No, I'll tell you, it's, it's amazing how, the, you know, you only learn things, that BJ, about through stories and stuff. Now, you and I, and people that, for our listeners, uh, we're going to give them a little all-access behind the scenes. Several times a week, we – we have very, very late-night phone calls where we talk awesome. about everything under the sun. And uh, and I feel fortunate that you teach me a lot and 
you able to about not just basketball about life and stuff because I'm on the journey to keep learning and stuff. So it's nothing that I enjoy more than when I see my phone say BJ Armstrong. So uh, you know, and that, that's really cool. But you know, let's talk uh, like you and I would about some things that are happening uh, like right now in, in the NBA because sure. I think it's really compelling stuff. Uh, you know, you have one of my favorite players in the league, Draymond Green, a Michigan State guy out there with the Warriors. You were out there, you know, just, you know, last night to see them play. Yep. Uh, get some magic. Uh, people talk about the old days versus the new days of the NBA. Uh, obviously, they did something record-setting last year with the number of wins. But your feelings about the game today, how how how, what, how do you like the game today and stuff like that, and the players today? Well, I, I, I love the game today because it's it's constantly evolving. You know, I, I, mm-hmm. I don't want to be stuck to where I was at, you know, when you and I yeah. were competing against each other 20, 25 years ago. You know, it's just a different game. The, 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 the preparation is different. The – the athlete is different. Um, the way the game is coached is different. Um, you know, now they're playing at a pace. You know, instead of playing possessions like we played, you know, half court mm-hmm. was part of your offensive set. You know, you didn't try to run what they call, you know, what they call a secondary break. You know, either you ran a break or you ran your half court <laughs> offense. Uh, you know, now you're seeing teams shoot 50 threes in a game that's like normal stuff um so you know the 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 game is just it's it's a different game so i want to evolve as well and how i can you know learn and understand this game but more importantly hold on to the fundamentals of the game because some of those things will never change you know you know having to defend will never change how you do it you know we didn't switch and do all the things that these teams do today but you have to defend you have to secure the ball once the other team misses the you know to in that possession and you still have to share the ball passing is still a, a, a big thing in the, in the game of basketball itself so um i think today's athlete is 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 way more sophisticated than we are you know you're watching the draymond green i mean he's you know, he's doing something that, you know, that, you know, to this day, every time I watch him, I was watching him last night, I just don't understand how you would scout a person and say, this guy can actually guard all five positions. Yeah. How can you say this guy is six seven, but he's able to play against a Marco Soul who's seven, you know, who's a seven footer. He's figured out how to play and utilize the rules and the game and the way they run to make himself not only an effective player, but he has an impact on the game itself, and he doesn't have to score. So when you watch these, you know, the game evolve, you begin to appreciate the things that people do. Like I know, you know, people like yourself and coaches who coach this game, they understand that in the end you have to find people who help you impact the game and win games. And certainly a Draymond Green has been one of those players who can make an impact without winning, I mean without uh, scoring. Um, because there's so many other parts of the game that, that make that impact. So um, I'm just learning as well. I, I, I wish I could look at these guys in college and say, I know this guy's going to do it, but at the same time, the game continues to evolve. Steph Curry's and these guys continue to make impacts on the game that you just come out of nowhere. I mean, this guy is shooting with such distance, off the dribble, off the pass, and I think that's really made a – 
the way we look and view the game, a different game in itself. You know, uh, what, what were your feelings uh, also being, a, an, you know, an agent for players when you see a team like a Golden State who's, you know, set a record last year and was in the finals, uh, then be able to acquire a player like Kevin Durant? Feelings on that. There were some people are upset that they stacked up a team. I have my feelings. I know you have yours. As a competitor, you know the the player side of me. You know that's that's the player side of me, which is you know that player has an ego. You have to have an ego when you play. You know you want to play and and you want to believe that you want to beat all the other players. You want to beat. You know you want to play against the best. But then when I really sit back and I look at, you know, all the great teams, they've always had great players. Mm-hmm. Okay? You know, Larry Bird, Kevin McHale, Robert Parrish, Magic Johnson, James Worthy, Larry Bird, Isaiah, Joe Dumars, Bill Lambeer, Mark Aguirre, so forth and so on. I'm, I'm, I am – Really, like I said, I think today's players are way more sophisticated. The fact that Kevin Durant was aware that he need he knew what he needs to have the opportunity to win. I'm not I'm not upset with that at all, because if he was traded there, Bob Myers or the general manager would have been he would have been anointed the greatest general manager ever to figure out a trade, and no one would have said anything. Today's player is sophisticated enough to know. That you know what I know what I need to win at this stage of my career. LeBron James, you saw, did what he needed to do to go win. When players, as long as players keep winning as priority number one, I don't have a I don't have a problem with it. But when players run away from competing, and I don't think this is the case with him, okay. then that's when you know when players go someplace to try to win a championship because they're at the end of their career. That's why I respected Reggie Miller so much. He stayed there. You know yeah. what? He was like, I'm not chasing a championship. I respect that. I respect the fact when players say, you know what? That was the decision I made as a young player or at the prime of my career. But I, I, I And getting back to your question, I respect what Kevin Durant did because Kevin Durant did what he felt was best for him in his career to win. And he clearly, before this injury, was finding a way to integrate himself into the, the, the team, the framework of the team with the Golden State Warriors. So I respect it. I respect what he did. And he has that right to do it. So as an agent, um, I like it. The, uh, the only part that I'm a little torn with it, because as a player, I was like, oh, God, I, I, I want to beat the Warriors. I want to beat everyone. But be honest, be honest with you, Michael Jordan could not beat the Detroit Pistons by himself. Right. It's not until the emergence of the other players, the Scottie Pippins, the Horace Grants, the B.J. Armstrongs, the John Paxons, that he was able to not only compete with those teams, to actually win those games. So I understand it. Our Eagles are always, you know, wants to be out front. But if you really want to win in this league, Coach, as you know, it takes a team effort. So I, I – I applaud Kevin Durant. And and as a free agent, he earned that right after eight or nine years, whatever it was. Absolutely. You know, and, and, and I think that's and, the and big so thing. That's the big thing. He earned that right, right? Yeah. He, he earned that right to do that. And he should be applauded that, you know what, he looked and saw what he needed to do. So uh, much respect to him and to 
you know, to, to the players who really put a value on winning and knowing what works for them and their personality when they have an opportunity to do it. You know, many of these players, as you know, Coach, you just get drafted. You know, you, you really don't have a say-so when you come into this league. You know, hopefully you'll come in and I'll – I'll co- you know, I'll, 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 my first coach hopefully is a Coach Sir or Coach Bach or whomever. I was very sure. lucky to have the coaching staff that I had, but we're not always that lucky when we come into this league. No disrespect, but, you know, I had a Hall of Fame coach. As my, that was my introduction to the <laughs> NBA. So That's that right. was very, very lucky. When you, uh, when you uh, look at the Cavs, you went back to back to back. You three-peated as a, you know, as a champion yes. with the Bulls, but – uh, I'm inferior, so I only did back to back. But when you look at when you look at Cleveland, okay, and you look at LeBron, I mean, every year wherever the guy plays, he's in the finals. Uh, you know, I, I yes. give him his his due for that. Your feelings on them being able to go back to back this year, you know, and all the things that they've so far had to go through injuries, et cetera, You know, your thoughts? Well, yeah. Well, the the thing, Coach, I I, I think as I'm watching is. You know, it is a different game, and it's played at a different pace. The way that the game is played today, I think it's more difficult to go back-to-back because, you know, these guys are putting such – they're putting an amazing amount of stress, you know, on their bodies the way they play. I mean, the Pistons and the Bulls, we had a half-court set where we actually could slow the game down and and – even though it was more physical, the game wasn't played at this pace. Now these guys are getting up and down. I mean, they're getting 90, 100 possessions during the course of a game. And I just think it puts a lot of stress during the course of the season. And I think that makes you more susceptible to injuries the way these guys are playing. Because no one really functions in a half-court set anymore. No one walks the ball up the court anymore. No yeah. one no one takes the shot clock and, you know, try to get it below eight eight before you, you know, before you uh, you shoot the ball. I mean, we played in an era where your best defense was your offense. You know, we wanted to make sure that we made the Detroit Pistons defend the almost the entire shot clock because we felt that was our best defensive strategy. Today, who, sh- who keeps the ball less than eight seconds? I mean, you're like getting it up first shot and it's up. So, um you know, I just think it's it's just a different. You know, I, I I think it's going to be very hard for teams to repeat because the way they play. I just think you know you see injuries happen much more frequently than you did, you know, twenty twenty five years ago. And I think some of that has to do with the way they play, the style that they play. I mean, you're, I mean, you, very rarely you saw you know lobs for dunks. I mean, now that's just a part of the game. You know, we weren't even – you had the referees telling guys like me, don't drive to the basket right tonight because, you know, the game was just so physical. I mean, people want to know how I became a good shooter. I couldn't get to the basket because, you know what, Lambeer and Mahorn, these guys would have ripped my head off. So you had to have a, 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 a mid-game. You had to be able to shoot, and we had to be able to shoot to create the spacing on the floor because you guys just did a great job of clogging up the lane. You know, you knew all the rules. You knew how to get to your spots defensively, um, and I'm sure that was part of the plan of of making Michael Jordan pass the ball that we had. You, you wanted to see if B.J. and John Paxson and Craig Hodges, these guys were actually shoot. You know, we knew Michael Jordan could get to the basket, but you guys – you know, we're just there, and you guys did your job, and you did it very well. When you did, let's pass summer, you gave uh, LeBron 
some great advice after he came out in Sports Illustrated with some ideas about chasing a ghost and stuff like that. I thought the advice that you gave him uh, to get rid of all the comparisons was yeah, yeah. really good. Talk about that for a second. Well, I, I really you know, know. I, I really admire LeBron James because he is, besides being a, a, a magnificent athlete, I mean, he really – I mean, he really understands the game. He makes the right play. You know, he may not be the same score, have the same mentality of an Isaiah Thomas or a Michael Jordan where those – you know at the end of the game, those guys are going to take the last shot. I mean, I don't care what's going on. Isaiah Thomas was not passing that ball in the, in the last 10 seconds. <laughs> Michael Jordan was not passing the ball in the fourth quarter. <laughs> I mean, he just, just, you know, that was his time. Right. LeBron is just a different player. You know, he's you know, he makes the right play, you know, he just if you're open, he gets you the ball and it's nothing wrong with that. His impact on winning is marvelous. But if you wanna chase the greatest players to ever play, you have to get rid of the comparisons of those great players because those great players, their career is done. You know, Michael Michael Jordan won six championships because Magic Johnson won five. That's a fact. Michael Jordan wanted to make sure he did a three-peat because he knew Isaiah and all the other guys had to a repeat. That's a fact. Right. These, are, these things didn't happen by mistake. Michael Jordan wanted to get rid of all of the comparisons so that when it was all said and done with his career, he was the, he was the last one standing. LeBron, you have this opportunity. Of course, you should be compared against the greatest. I mean, he gets to the finals, like, it seems like every year. Now, if you really are chasing history, you're chasing a ghost, as it was said, then go for it. You have this opportunity because Isaiah and these guys were, I mean, they knew their history. They knew everything that the other great players were doing. And I can assure you that Michael Jordan, I was there. He knew every move that Magic and Larry and those guys were making. He knew everything about Isaiah Thomas because mm-hmm. he wanted to be the greatest player ever. He didn't come here to be a good player. He didn't come here to be an all-star. He was – I remember specifically asking him how good was Dr. J, and he wanted to make sure that everyone knew him and – there was a difference between him and Dr. J. And Dr. J wow. was a Hall of Fame player. That's how competitive he was. He wanted to make sure there was no comparison. He wanted to make sure there was like, well, you remind me of Dr. J, or you reminded me of Connie Hawkins, or you reminded me of Elgin. No, he wanted to be Michael Jordan. And I think that was his mentality. That's who he, that's who he is. That's who he's, he's wired that way. He competes. And at the end of the day, he just took the game that serious where he didn't want Magic Johnson because Magic, you know Magic like I know Magic. Magic, you know, he smiles and comes across as this, you know, he's this great guy. Magic is, the guy is ruthless when it comes to on the court. He'll do anything to win that game. And Michael was well aware that, that, that Magic had five. And when you guys coached Michael over in at the, you know, for the dream team, Michael wanted to make sure that he was the best player there. 
hands down. And he wanted to let Barkley and all those other guys, let them fight for second. But he was going to be the best player every time they stepped on the court. And he was going to have the most championships. And he was going to do all the other things so that no one, no one was ever going to achieve what he achieved. And that's, you know, and that's, I commend him for that, for even thinking to take the game that serious to want to even achieve something of that magnitude. Um, You know, you can talk about it, but he actually believed it and prepared himself to do it and went about and did it. So hands down, you know, I I give him like, wow, like that's like a, wow, this, this guy takes the game that serious. I've never heard it put in those terms, but I love it. And I, and I think you're right on, spot on, uh, you know, and I think that, that we know LeBron is smart, and I know someone got him that article and read it, or that interview, rather, and read it back to him. And I guarantee you, I hope he goes for it. I think he appreciates it. I think he appreciates it. Because yeah. I, I, last week I just saw where he said he had to apologize to his wife. Did you read that? Oh, yeah, I did. And, and like I said, cha- for chasing greatness. Because absolutely. If you're going to chase it, yeah, absolutely. If you're going to chase it, you know, to be great, you have to be so extreme. I mean, you can have great talent. You and I have all seen great talent. There's great, talented players that come in this league. But mentally is where you have to really push yourself beyond. You know, you have to surround yourself with the right people that's going to allow you to be the best you can be every single day. Because, you know, if, if there's any weakness in your game, you know, coach, we're going to find it up here. I mean, yeah. th- these are some wonderful coaches up here, and they put together masterful game plans. And um, so I, I understand where he was coming from. I thought it was, you know, commendable that he you know he's thinking of it but if you're going to talk about it now let's go do it because you you have this opportunity and as you know coach you don't sometimes you never get a second chance to make a first impression you know and you have to take advantage of every opportunity that you get and he's he's right in the middle of his career go for it you know and uh we want to see this game progress you know you know what you guys did as a staff and as a team you made a a phenomenal contribution to the game the way you guys played there in Detroit I mean say what you want the game forever changed the way you guys played you know played defense and the physicality of the game and the way you guys were as a team and mentally tough I just think it's you know even to this day it may not be a lot of defense but when I watch the Golden State Warriors I know where Steve Kerr learned that at Mm-hmm. I know where he learned the defensive things that he learns. I know yeah. how much, you know, emphasis he puts on his defense. I mean, that team gets a lot of headlines for shooting threes and the way they play. But defensively, they are a great team. And I think people underestimate Phil Jackson in that regard as well. Phil Jackson was a defensive coach. The triangle was the triangle. But defensively, he was terrific. And that was our biggest asset as a team and I always chuckle to myself when people talk about the triangle. The triangle was what just gave you the proper balance so that you can take away the other team's transition defense. That's the way I always look at the triangle offense. It was <laughs> you gave that? us the great balance that we needed to play against a great team, which at the time were you guys and the Celtics and the Lakers and all those guys. So, um, you know, it was just – you know, I think defensively, you know, you guys made a significant, significant impact on the game and the way team defense is played, even to this day. 
I was going to. You took the segue right in there, but I was going to. I have tremendous respect for Phil and what he did. It was fun to compete against him and Pat Riley, people like that. Fantastic. Yep. The coaches were just, they were so good. And uh, But Phil was uh, excellent. Tex, Johnny Bach, those were, those were superstars on one staff. And, uh, you know, your thoughts, I know you just gave some great insight about the triangle. But everyone looks at it and you sit and, and, and you just, you hear triangle, but you don't understand it. Give us right. the simple version offensively of what you think it is as far as from a, from a rule standpoint. Don't be afraid to X and O because these are coaches that are listening. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So give me some uh, thoughts on that. The well, the the, 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 the rule of the offense is very simple and I, and I think was, as a player, as a person who played in it, I, I think I began, I, as I played in it, I understood the, the core concept of what it is. The, the, the offense is played at what I think Tex Winners, who's the architect of this offense, said it's played at a controlled chaos. And I never fully understood that like my, after my second or third year. The offense you never really get to the offense because defensively you have to get stops to play in the triangle offense. You have to get stops. The offense is just a format that allows you to play in where there's chaos, meaning there could be multiple ball handlers. Tex Winters and Phil Jackson wanted multiple ball handlers on the floor. And the reason we ran this offense was because Isaiah Thomas was so good on the ball that we couldn't run a traditional point guard set against you guys. He was that good on the ball. Then you happen to have another guy who was maybe even better than him that was the two guard, which was Joe Dumars. Right. Okay. So the reason that we ran the offense was to create chaos where the ball could be initiated from multiple positions without you guys being able to zero in. Because if you knew that John Paxson and B.J. Armstrong were the primary ball handlers, you could you knew how to attack that. If Michael Jordan was the primary ball handler, you knew how to attack that. What you didn't know how to attack, which we began to attack you guys, is we went at always your weakest defender, which was at that time, was uh, Mark Aguirre and Adrian Dantley. Right. Sure. That's where the idea of having multiple initiators to attack the other team where they were weakest. We always went away from pressure. So we wanted to play at a chaos where anyone could rebound the ball, outlet the ball, initiate the offense, would never happen to call a play because we knew that we could not run an offensive set versus a Detroit Piston team. That was a fact. Therefore, we wanted to create chaos where we were always organized in the chaos so that you guys couldn't say what play two was or play three was or wiggle or floppy down. Sure. We just played where there's chaos. People teach the offense when I watch coaches and I go to practices and I see things, they're teaching it as a half-court set, as a read. We did not want a lot. We didn't want the Pistons or a great defensive team to ever be in a half court set because, as you know, coach, if you could get us, if you could get any team to a half court set, your defense of pressure or your defensive statistics should rise considerably if they're playing against transition. That's why you see most 
teams now are just trying to get the transition. No one wants to get to where it's five-on-five five basketball. Sure. So the so the chaos that we created was multiple players, multiple initiators, and we play, but always be organized and know that we can play two-man game on the weak side or the strong side. And we all knew what each other was doing as long as we had the fundamentals necessary to function under duress. The duress is the key. Can I function under duress in a hostile environment and be organized? That was the key to beating the Pistons. We weren't going to beat them. We weren't going to beat the Pistons any other way. So when I hear we're going to run the offense, I look at their defensive. I look at can they get stops? Because the offense is the best when there's no offense. Michael Jordan wow. and Scottie Pippen were the absolute best when there's no offense. Now, if you ran just a half-court offense, clearly Michael Jordan could make incredible shots under five seconds. You know, what you and I refer to as red. You have red, guy can create shots. But if you really want to get this offense to what it is, defensively, you have to get stops. And then that's where the offense, to me, is the best. Because now there is no secondary offense. You know, you run your initial break, and then you guys go to secondary offense and whatever they want to call it. No, you just play, and you play out of it. And you play out of the offense consistently through misses, maids, steals, half court, full court, out of bounds, you know, baseline, sideline, and you play out of this pace, and you create this pace, okay, and the pace is there is never a play called. You never call a play, and that was the goal of the game, and we had to, we literally would not call a play against you guys because you guys were incredible at scouting, and you knew you knew our offense better than our, than our offense, so we just didn't call a play. And I'll give you a term that we ran against you guys. It was only for the Pistons. It was called open. Yep. We just ran an open offense. And the open offense was we were just going to make seven or eight passes before we even began to create anything. <laughs> just so you guys didn't know what we were doing. That's what the that's what the offense it creates chaos for the Great. other team. Now, if you want to run the offense and say this guy is the initiator, this guy makes well, you can't do that. I mean, we literally would come and make seven to eight passes, and I remember you guys looking trying to get the play call, and we were just doing things just so there was no play call. We were just doing things so that it was complete chaos, but it was an organized chaos. So if, if someone were to ask me about how to teach that, teach people how to play in a chaotic environment. Teach people how to play 3-on-2, 2-on-1 without having to coach it. Teach people how to play what I, you know, advantage basketball. How do you create an advantage for yourself and you capitalize every time you have an advantage? When you watch the Warriors play, when I, when I watch him, I, it just looks like Steve Kerr is just he, – he waits for you to make a mistake, and then they capitalize every single mistake you make. Yeah. That's, yeah. What, that's what they do. I mean, you turn it over, they capitalize on it. You do something, you take a bad shot, they're running out, they run out on it. We just created chaos because you guys were that good. There was no other way to beat you. Like, how are you going to beat a team that can guard 
I mean, you guys never had to double team the ball. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know any other team that ever I played against that didn't have to double team Michael Jordan. You guys could play one on one with Michael Jordan. Okay, and then you had a guy coming off the bench offensively that we couldn't allow him. When I say him, we couldn't allow Michael Jordan to guard Vinny Johnson because Vinny Johnson would just wear him out because he was such a physical player. So between Joe Dumars and Vinny Johnson, offensively and defensively, you guys, you know, Michael may have 35, but you might have, you know, easily 40 to 45 points from your two-guard position. So advantage Pistons in that game. So we had to create an advantage for ourselves. And our defense and the way we played in this chaotic style against you guys allowed us to have the freedom necessary to just roam around because you guys couldn't ever figure out what we were doing in certain situations. Clearly, you guys knew how to defend the, the, the offense, but we were just doing things really just to create the chaos, the illusion that we're doing something over here, but really we're doing something over there to get the ball and, and just get an uncontested shot, if that was possible, against the Detroit Pistons team. Wow, no wonder we could. I know that was a long question no, answer, no, but no, I think that was just. That's, uh, no, that's, but that's, I've never heard it explained that way. I know yeah, I, I just think so that I know all the I know all the actions, but I never yeah, heard the that action, explanation. It makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And you watch you, know? you you watch the you like I I watch the team today. Um, the team, Phil Jackson's teams are always good defensive teams. He can't yeah. he can't run the offense if you're not a good defensive team. And when he was winning with the Lakers, that was a good defensive team. Yes. So the chaos is created there, and then you're always organized. You just want to create the chaos. It's organized right. chaos. That's all it is. And then, of course, you know, you have the blind pig and the reverse action and the two pass to the post and – the, the fist out action it gives you ball. You know, you have all those things that you can run, but that's not the action. The action is how do we create this chaos? You know, uh, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll just create all of this chaos, open the floor up, and just and go for it. And then the other team, you know, how, how are you going to defend when you don't really know what the other team is doing? Now, you clearly got to have the players to do that. And and, and I, I I always felt that. Also, and the key ingredient is, and this was the hardest part I thought of teaching the triangle and why it took so long for, let's say, a college team or a high school team or another pro team to learn it, was you have the kids, the players have to know how to read defense. And that's one of the weakest things about players, I think. Is that fair? They have to know how to, yeah, that is fair. I, I think the, especially in today's game, Okay, yeah. especially in today's game, which is a little different than, you know, back then. Today's player has always played with the ball. Yeah. Very rarely, I mean, how many guys do you see like a Ray Allen, you know, Reggie Millers? You don't see those guys anymore. You know, you, you know, Jeff Malone's, Joel Dumars, these guys who knew how to play and get 20 points without dribbling. Yeah. Today's player has to have the ball in his hand. Okay, the 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 thing that makes you know, yesterday different than today is that you le- you had to learn how to play without the ball. You know, I had I was a point guard in high school. I had the ball in college. I had the ball. I suddenly come to the Bulls and they tell me I'm <laughs> off the ball. 
(laughs) But I had to figure out how to integrate. I wasn't a shooter until I got to the NBA, but I had to learn how to play with other great players. If you're going to be, you know, you got to learn how to complement greatness. You have to learn how to play your role great. You know, great players have to be great. And role players have to learn how to play their role great. And that's what I always admired about Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah Thomas knew how to play off the ball. He could have easily been Allen Iverson if he chose to. Yeah. He was Allen Iverson before Allen. He could score and do everything Allen Iverson did. But he chose to be a distributor. He chose when he saw Joe Dumars and these guys got hot how to play off the ball. He knew how to manipulate the game and do all of the things. And then when it was needed for him to score, clearly he can go get you 20, 25 and a quarter if needed. To me, that was the beauty of the game. Today, you don't see that. You know, guys, well, this is what I do. How many times have you heard that, coach? Well, this is what I do. The coach is trying to change my game. No. Your, your, your job is to figure out how to win the game. Win the game. That's your job. So, you know, this, you know, you, you, these guys, Isaiah and these guys were so good. To me, they were just really – they were like – it's like the matrix in them. They were going in and out of certain phases of the game as they chose. And, you know, Larry Bird – Larry Bird could have easily averaged 30 points a game. Easily. Sure. Magic – he was 6'9". What, what guard was going to stop Magic if he just wanted to be a scorer, if he so desired? But they knew how to manipulate the game. They knew how to – keep everyone honest so that when it was necessary for them to take over the game, they could do that too. And I just thought that was always, I thought it was an art. And, and today, it's like it's almost like a lost art because you don't see many players that are capable of doing that, but you don't see many players that actually, you know, do it. And um, But those guys, that's what made those guys great players. BJ, when you played your first seven years in the league, and, and you played – all 82 games, except for your first year, you played 81. First question, why didn't you play 82 in your first year? Our, so um, Colin, did Colin set you out one night or what? No, no I, I, can, I can tell you why. I can tell you. I, and, you know, it's amazing, and you know this, Coach. It's amazing the things you remember. Like, I can't remember so I knew what happened. Remember. And I remember because, you know, there was so much pride you know, not only physically playing in those games, you know, the, you know we were yeah. flying commercial back then, but it was the mental toughness that you had to have to play that game. Like, I wasn't the biggest guy, but I wanted to be the toughest guy, meaning that every night I was going to show up and I was going to compete. And that was very, right. very – that meant a lot to me. That was like, yeah. all right, this guy scored 40 on me, but you know what? There's another game tomorrow, and I'm going to keep showing up. I never wanted to run away from a matchup. Back then, Coach, you know, you you played your matchup. And my matchup against this particular team, we were playing the Lakers at the the Forum. And my rookie year, and I was so excited to play in the Forum, Magic, you know, was going there. And my matchup was Larry Drew. That was my matchup. When Larry Drew came in the game, and every night – Phil Jackson challenged everyone to win their matchup. Oh, wow. And my matchup my rookie year was Larry Drew. I'll never forget it. And for some reason, they played – I was at the table. Me and Larry Drew were at the table to, to check in together. 
and Dale Harris, I can remember, Dale Harris calls Larry Drew back and puts in Teague. I think it's Terry Teague. He wanted to go big. Terry Teagle. Terry Teagle. There you go. Terry Teagle. That's his name. From Terry Bale, puts in Terry Teagle. From and, Baylor, yep. and Phil Jackson sends me back. And calls me back, and I was like, "Oh wow!" I was at the I was at the scores table to get in, and they kept, and the guy Teagle gets hot, he gets hot, he just gets hot, and they wrote him out, and I never got in the game. <laughs> oh just, my gosh! That's true, and I remember it, and I and oh I wanted God. to be upset, but I couldn't be upset because. You know, we were trying to win the game, and I knew my matchup. Every night, Coach, I knew my matchup. I knew when Vinny was coming in, I had to – I was going to play against him. I knew I, I had to play against Isaiah Thomas. I knew my matchup every single night. Now, I don't know what today's coaches are doing, you know, but I knew for us that was our matchup. And I knew you guys were doing the same thing because you always – you know, you always look for advantages. I mean, you guys had an offense called Feed the Pig. I mean, if this guy was hot, you just you rode that matchup until the guy. You know, you just you kept you ran. You would run one play for whole games. So if my guy scored, if Benny Johnson scored on me, which he did, if he scored two two times in a row, he was getting a foul on the third play. That was just the rules of the game. I because I knew you guys felt, oh well, we can exploit this matchup, and I wasn't going to allow that to ever happen with me. Yeah. And we all did it, but that was a different pro game back then. So that's why I didn't get in the game. Uh, but I played in '81. The '81, six years in a row after that, all '82 games. Now here's the yeah. next question: <laughs> if, if we found someone that did that now, the guy would go instantly into the Hall of Fame. Okay, I mean, the guys don't play. How how would you have handled? If your coach, and so this is not a knock on Steve or on Pop, because those are two of my very favorite coaches. So please, that it's not meant. But right. if I, if someone said to me the other day, I was doing some, a show, and a guy said to me, "What would have happened if Chuck Daly had told Isaiah Lambier and you know Dumars and Rodman, you're not playing tonight?" I said they would have put themselves in. <laughs> You know, they right. wouldn't have listened to him. I mean, they would have said, because they love to play. I mean, I, I, it's just, I find it, and I understand why they're doing it and stuff, and I'm not saying I agree with it, but uh, amazing nowadays how guys will sit out games and there's no, like, pride in playing them all and stuff like that. You know, I just, I just find it fascinating, you know. Well, I think today, you know, you know, ignorance is bliss. We just didn't know. The information wasn't available to us of what was happening to our bodies and what we were putting our bodies through. Now, with the science and all of the things that we have, this we have this wealth of information that's available to us. With my mentality back then, of course, knowing what I know now and what this game does to your body and how when, you know, it's these guys are like highly – tuned like machines right and when i say machine mm -hmm. like you know, these guys are like yeah, yeah they're like ferraris right and if anything is off on that ferrari something could really go wrong because this ferrari is just doing things that are so extreme 
Now, if you have like a, a luxury Buick or something or a Cadillac, you're not taking the corner like a Ferrari is taking the corner. Ferrari is doing it at 100 miles an hour. The other, you know, you're you know you're you're you're, you're cruising in your Buick or you're cruising in your Cadillac. So these guys, knowing what I know, and if anything is off, you know, their hip is hurt, which limits their range of motion. It makes them, you know, makes them very, you know, they can get injured and make them, you know, really expose them to injuries that they sh they don't have to be exposed to. I think Greg Popovich does a terrific job mm -hmm. of respecting the athlete because he demands so much of his athletes. I don't think this is Popovich, you know, wanting to rest guys. Uh, I don't know this, but the times I have had players down there, the training staff, you know, they work as a team. And I respect that about Popovich. He listens to his trainers. If his trainer says, you know, Tim Duncan can't play because his range of motion and his ankle is not at whatever, their range that they have, you know, 70 to 85%, okay, he doesn't play because that's going to make him uh, two weeks from now maybe miss – three weeks or four weeks of the season because, you know, we know what that's going to do. Now, we didn't have that available to us back then, Coach, but today they do. And I've had enough players hurt where I know that these guys are doing things and running and jumping and, and cutting like we did do. So you have to be very attuned to them. And when I see organizations working together to get through a season, and it may not have looked like how we did it, I, I again, you 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 use the information. It's like you use analytics, you know, as a piece of the puzzle, not the entire puzzle. You use the information, the trainers, science, and all the things that we know that we've gathered over the years. You use that to make educated decisions and choices. And I think, knowing that what I know, you should probably set these guys out because you know we weren't. You know, the way Russell Westbrook and Derrick Rose and these guys are playing, guards weren't doing that 25 years ago, <laughs> okay? <laughs> these guys are hurt. Russell Westbrook is doing something entirely different than any of us point guards who play ever saw, okay? And he's about 210, 215 pounds, all right? Most of us were like 185 maybe, 175 yeah. to 185 maybe playing. This guy is 6'3", 6'4", Duncan, alley-oops, I mean, he's just playing at a different pace. So his body and what he's doing, you know, he you, you got to look at him differently. And I think the Spurs and I think the Warriors and other teams that do it, I think they're beginning to understand, you know, how much stress these young men are putting on their bodies. BJ, I can't believe we've gone over an hour. Uh, yeah, I, I know. This, this is, is what we do. I think people every night. I mean, when we call. I know, and and my wife always says, "What are you guys talking about?" <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's like one in the morning. You and I are talking about basketball, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and and they and they and each of my wives say this. Why can't we have an hour discussion? Well, first of all, she doesn't want she doesn't want to. And, and, you know, and she, she's like a twenty four second clock with me. She doesn't want to talk to me for more than twenty four seconds, and I don't blame her. But I, you know, I, I I enjoy this so much, and I think we need to do this again during the playoffs just to talk basketball. Any, because this, anytime, this, this is awesome, man. You are you are absolutely the best, and I have like 
10 more questions I wanted to talk to you about. Oh, man. Anytime, uh, Coach. And uh, you're the best. And love you. And thanks again for having me on. And uh, love to do it again. And uh, maybe this year you'll invite me down to Coach's You so I can come down there and, and you know what? watch what you do. Yeah. I, 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 in, <laughs> Ve- in, in, in Vegas, you're going to get your opportunity. I'll bring you to Vegas and Orlando. I'll bring you both times. But you're the best, BJ. Thank you so much. All right, Coach. Man. Okay. Really Take care. Enjoy.